0: On the block, on demand.
1: Without Jerry McNair, we wouldn't have won ten f- games this year. Okay, not ten. Two seconds and one. It's ten wins in a row for the Crunch. It's the biggest upset in the Carrier Dome in more than thirty years. As the Orange hold off the defending national champions, they
2: beat Clemson. The Bills make me wanna shout! McCoy in the backfield, takes the handoff, runs up the middle, breaks a tackle! He's inside the 10, cuts to the left, into the end zone! Buffalo wins! Back to full! Red Sox fans
0: have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions.
2: Somebody in Vegas told them they were going to win by 20.
1: To look at the positive side of things once in a while instead of the negative all the time. This is On the Block with
0: Brent Axe.
2: Ah! Z!
0: ESPN Radio, 97.7,
1: 100.1.
0: ESPN Radio, Utica, Rome. Oh, what's happening, Mohawk Valley? Great to have you on board, as always. You can listen on the ESPN app, because no matter where you go, you can take us with you. Except the bathroom, that's kind of gross. Download the app, hit the listen tab, find ESPN Syracuse, and off you go. And we will go with you to explore this great world that we live in. You can listen in the future at a time of your desire, thanks to the modern podcast technology. Just subscribe to ESPN Syracuse and iTunes or Google Play, and we send you this program, Daniel Baldwin, in the booth, Orange Nation, and you can listen on your time on demand when you want. It's a beautiful thing. Here's how you get in touch with the show today, 437-7644. Brent Axe Media, Brent Axe Media on Twitter. The text line is 2880644. That's how you relay your thoughts to us today. Plenty to discuss with the Yahoo Sports Investigation bombshell report, if you can even call it that today. This just in, there's a lot of money flowing around in places in college basketball that we all knew it was flowing around. We just now have it organized in a nice spreadsheet to document it and look it up easily. How much of a bombshell is this really? What will it mean? And by the way, if you were holding out hope that a big-time player for Duke, whose name is in this report, would not be on the court tomorrow against Syracuse, uh, not so much. He will be out there playing, as we'll tell you about here momentarily. Our friend Anish Schroff is going to join the show this hour. He's uh, covering plenty of college basketball games, doing play-by-play. He's also the main voice for college lacrosse for ESPN, so we'll get a couple thoughts from him on Syracuse, how much trouble they could be in or will they recover from that big loss to Albany. Always uh, fun to catch up with our friend Anish Schroff, SU grad, former radio partner of mine, good buddy of mine, and um, on the college beat. So Other than that, we're open for business. Hot takes and some of the usual Tom uh, hijinks and tomfoolery to come. So I, I do want to go a little bit back and forth between the big report today and Syracuse Duke, which is interesting that we're going to do that because it's like here's what we know is happening in the underbelly of college basketball that we all, you know, blissfully ignore when the games come on our screen or we walk into the Carrier Dome or whatever the case may be for the games. First and foremost, admit it. You breathed a sigh of relief when you saw that report come up. You scanned it or you hit Control-F and put in Syracuse, and they didn't show up. Kind of, sort of did. John Gillen's name is on one of the spreadsheets. Uh, He was not implicated in one of the loan spreadsheets and players that got, air quotes, loans from Andy Miller's agency, ASM, who was a part of the big FBI raid. In September, they seized his computers, and now we're getting a look at what we all know happens. What you are getting a look at, and I want you to keep something very important in mind here this is one agency. One. There are several agencies or groups that I'm not sure will go as deep and will be as implicated, and we're breaking. Rules, which we've got to get to in a moment here, because whose rules were they really breaking? This was one agency, and it was a big one, because of the players you heard today, Wendell Carter being one of them, who uh, Duke released a statement within the hour saying that uh, Duke AD Kevin White on Wendell Carter's allegations that his mom received a meal from Christian Dawkins slash Andy Miller, quote, based on the available information, determined there are no eligibility issues related to today's report Duke has already contacted the NCAA and there was a statement put out that goes further than that that details what Duke is doing how they're going to comply with everything I mean look you got Duke Michigan State Kentucky Texas USC Alabama amongst others that were implicated in All it is doing is organizing something we all know happens. Now, there are certain rules being broken on a federal level, which is why the FBI is involved here. And it is interesting that these spreadsheets and this information is leaking. And good for Pete Thamel and good for Pat Forty for getting it. But there's a structure behind that, let's keep in mind. Be it the FBI or somebody trying to sway public opinion on this. Okay, let's just take a step back here. Now, if you didn't read the article, certainly do that. And these things tend to get chopped up and sliced and diced and talked in a certain way. But there's a few key things to keep in mind here. One, as I mentioned, this is one agency. And we're already seeing some of the biggest names in the sport implicated. Two, whose rules are they breaking here? Agents don't have to comply with NCAA rules. Agents are out for themselves. The reason that agents establish relationships with high school players, and I know I'm preaching from the obvious choir here, but it needs to be restated here, is so it pays off for them when they eventually get endorsements as NBA players. Dennis Smith Jr. from NC State, his name came up in this, $75,000 in air quotes loans that he didn't even end up signing with that agency. This is the risk. This is the game. This is the hustle that agents portray. Where it becomes a problem is if coaches are being swayed by that, participating in it. It's what brought down Rick Pitino. He'll scream from the rooftops forever that he didn't know anything about it. These were rogue agents that were out there acting on his behalf. And there's only so many times that, <laughs> you know, Rick Pitino could stand up there and do that before you're just like, sorry, you've become the boy who cried wolf. It was just, you know, a couple days ago he was doing it at a press conference again this week. This is a further demonstration of how the amateur model, the NCAA model, is archaic. It is ridiculous. It needs to be blown up and imploded and start again. This brings to mind something we all know. That because this underbelly, this black market has been created, the NCAA amateur model doesn't work. And when people say, well, what about the 12th guy on the roster? Who cares? This isn't about the 12th guy on the roster. This isn't about somebody that doesn't get the attention from agents and television and the business that college sports is. And to say that these amateurs, these student-athletes, should not be allowed to pursue things that people in other walks of life do because they're bound by the limits of a scholarship just shows how archaic this system is because of how and look, look, I'm not rehashing anything new here, but this just shines a light on that. It just shines a further light on how the NCAA, which, again, remember, the NCAA is the schools itself, Everybody likes the point fingers, the big, bad NCAA, which they are an organization. There are certain things they do on their own. But the NCAA is the schools. When ru- rules are changed, when things really happen that move the meter forward or backward or whatever the case may be, it's the schools themselves, it's administrators and, and presidents and ADs that do it. They are the NCAA. That being said, Mark Emmert, the president of the NCAA, who makes uh, just under $2 million a year, in that job put out a statement today and in the interest of fairness we will read his statement that he put out today these allegations if true point to systematic failures that must be fixed and fixed now if we want college sports in america simply put people who engage in this kind of behavior have no place in college sports okay well the first part of that's true there is a systematic failure in this whole thing. And for you to absolve any blame from that is laughable at best. Your archaic amateurism model is what created this. You are making money off the backs, the likeness, the marketability, and everything that comes in between of these athletes. And your model is being threatened. Therefore, you respond with something like that you're right there are systematic failures but for it to be fixed listen Andy Staples put this best today of everything I read about this today and I read a lot Andy Staples of Sports Illustrated said this best and I quote people who engage in this type of behavior are capitalists trying to make money this is America that's what you're supposed to do such people have a place in nearly every enterprise in this country. Emmert, in a seven-figure salary, should understand that. It is amazing how in sports and in amateur athletics, how you are painted as some kind of villain if you receive money from an agent or a booster or somebody of that vein to secure their services later, whatever it may be. The fact that these athletes, and in the world of college hockey, Do you know that college hockey student athletes can have agents that can act on their behalf and plan their future and you can get drafted by a team and, you know, kind of plot that out? There is an Olympic model in place that allows what are amateur athletes to be paid. This can be done. It is as simple as following the Olympic model with some modifications. It absolves the schools from having to pay these athletes. So when people scream, Pay college athletes. Syracuse University does not have to pay them a dime, it, to use Syracuse just as an example, but any school, right? It is as simple as allowing them to market their likeness, to be able to use their brand, their likeness, their image in a town, including one like this, to, and, you know, we can figure out what that is. Go sign autographs at a clothing store for an hour or be in a television commercial, who is it hurting if, and I, I don't want to pick on one person in particular here, I'm just going to pick the star athlete on the big team in town right now, who is it hurting if Tyus Battle is in a car commercial? He's being paid for his likeness, for his status as a Syracuse University basketball player a status that is popular enough to believe that someone will pay him money to say I think people might come in my store or buy a car or buy a product because he endorsed it." something by the way that head coaches across this country do every day so you can look at this one of two ways it is simply organizing what we all know happens every day in college sports, and blissfully pretend it doesn't. It happens every day. It's out there, agents, and this puts, there's a lot of agents, by the way, that don't do this, that do it right, that establish relationships, that don't, it's not their rules, but don't put their athletes in a position to break NCAA rules. Believe it or not, there's a lot of people that do this right. I'm not saying there's not corruption. I'm not saying there's not things that need to be addressed here. There certainly is. But for Mark Emmer to stand up there and say college sports as we know it, I mean, college sports as we know it, well, what is that? The fact that you exploit these athletes to the tune of billions of dollars every year? Yeah, that model is now starting to be threatened and could fall in on itself. And it's an interesting thing because we just kind of turn the page and move on and we'll watch big games, we'll talk about big games like we will the Syracuse-Duke game because that's just the system. You know, you don't turn an aircraft carrier around in five minutes. This is going to be a slow-moving process, but this is just going to further expose. And I think by leaking the stuff and putting out there, They might have the wrong idea here. They're going to think like, oh, look at all this horrible thing that is happening in college athletics. Well, the rest of us are like, we know this happens. And a lot of us, frankly, don't care that it happens. A lot of us see, oh, you took out that kid's mom to ensure his services as a pro, as a professional basketball player when he's done with college. Well, good for him. Good for him and good for his mom. Because a lot of people in a lot of other positions in life, that if they were ha- had an agent, were doing business meetings, were you know, they have to dance around those things because that's the model in place, and the model is flawed. It's inherently flawed, and the people that just love to go, always go back to the same damn thing. Well, they have a scholarship. That is an advantage, and that is something that regular students do not have but regular students don't sell tickets regular students do not put universities on the map some do that are exceptional you know alums in other walks of life but it just reminds me of the great scene from the movie the program when's the last time 80,000 people showed up in a stadium to watch a chemistry experiment right and that's not to disparage the great academ- academia that goes on around this country but to pretend that this amateurism model is something that can continue to flourish, I'm amazed that we're here on February 23rd, 2018, and it still you know, exists in the way that it does. So you can read and look at the Yahoo report one of two ways. For me, it just further exposes how these athletes should be allowed to profit off their likeness. A. And B, it simply organizes something and brings into light something we all know happens. And let's circle back to the main point here. And then I want to take a call, take a break, and we'll talk about Syracuse Duke coming up. And Anish Shroff is going to join me in a couple minutes. This is one agency, all right? Syracuse dodged the bullet this time. Who's to say they won't down the line? And we'll see how that goes. I'm not insinuing anything. I'm just saying this time they did. This is one agency, one. And Think of the big names that came out of it. But is that such a bad thing? Is my question. All right, let me sneak in a, a call. We'll get Pat in here, and then we'll talk to our buddy Anish Shroff about all those student athletes out there. Pat in Syracuse on the block. Pat, thank you for holding patiently. You go
2: ahead. Yeah, Brent. You know it's Friday. You got to get some music going. You got to get things rolling here. It's Friday, man. We you know we got to have a little fun, right?
0: I guess so. What kind of music do you want? Are we TK ninety nine all of a sudden? Am I taking requests? <laughs> No, I mean how you you
2: know you you uh, play your music in the background and you know get 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 that yeah, Friday man. vibe. It's almost five o'clock. That's 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 Giddy all up. I'm saying.
0: Giddy up! What's yeah, on your mind, So bud?
2: um, I I'd like to get a, a pulse on the fan base, and I'd like to get your pulse. Um, what percentage you give Syracuse tomorrow?
0: Fifty-fifty.
2: Yeah i I think that's excellent. I was going to say I give them about a forty percent chance of winning this yeah. game. I think some of your colleagues at the radio station would put it at 15. I'd love to find out. I I think this is a winnable game. I I like the position. I think they're happy to go on the road. And I think if Duke doesn't play a good zone, um, you know, if anybody knows how to beat a zone with Merrick in the middle and uh, you know, Bursette shooting the ball well, um, it's it's, going to be a closer game than people think. We are not playing the Golden State Warriors. We're playing a bunch of freshmen who don't want to play defense and Grayson Allen who's coming into a zone and a lot of very talented players, but Syracuse is connected now, and I uh, look forward to a big game. I mean, a lot going on with the bubble, and uh, hopefully we can steal this one tomorrow, Brett. Pat, thank
0: you. Uh, taking a shot at your boy Seth there, because he doesn't think Syracuse can win tomorrow, and I'll get into this more as we go along here. But look, there's a stat to keep in mind here. Duke is tw- Duke is 6-1 in ACC play at home this year, and they are beating their opponents by an average of 20 points per game. they're playing a lot better defense lately thanks to a little thing called the 2-3 zone. But can Syracuse win this game tomorrow? Sure they can. Do I think they will? No. But I don't think they're going to go in there and get their doors blown off either. So we'll find the middle ground there. Let me break those so we can get our buddy Anisha on here and talk some more about those unpaid student-athletes. Stay right there. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. Oh, we're alive and kicking. We're getting it going, baby. Syracuse and Duke tomorrow. Perhaps you've heard. Big week, big week. Syracuse couldn't get it against Carolina, so, you know, all you got to do is go down to Cameron Indoor Stadium, a place where an ACC play Duke is averaging, um, let's see, uh, margin of victory, 20 points per game. And the one loss they have is to, you know, Virginia, the number one team in the country. That's it. Psst, we got this. Welcome back. Welcome aboard. Either way, so glad to have you hanging with us here on the block. ESPN Radio 97.7, 100.1. Our friends in uh, ESPN Radio, Utica, Rome, you guys are going to be ducking out here a little bit later on this hour and uh, on the ESPN app, wherever you're taking us in today. Certainly do appreciate that. 437-7644, Brent Axe Media on Twitter, the text line is two eight eight zero six four four Syracuse-Duke we will focus on. Certainly we'll uh, circle back in on the Yahoo report, what it means for college sports, college basketball. I don't think anybody fainted due to shock upon hearing this. What uh, Pete Thamel and Pat Forty's report is doing is further organizing something, bringing something into the spotlight that we all know happens. And they were literally given spreadsheets for it. Nice when you get, you know, it's all organized in a spreadsheet for you, literally how agents were doing this. Now, again, as we discussed, whose rules are they really breaking here? Does it bother you that much that players were getting loans from these agencies to secure their services if and when they became pros? Dennis Smith Jr., former NC State player, now in the NBA, got about $75,000 in loans, didn't even sign there. One guy's uh, mother got a lunch at the Longhorn Steakhouse for $105 when he was a junior in high school. And that guy, by the way, is Wendell Carter from Duke, who will be on the court tomorrow if you were hoping that this would uh Put a dent in some eligibility for Duke players for tomorrow. I'm sorry. No, that will not be the case. Daniel Carter is going to be out there for Duke, and he has really been somebody who's had to lean in and step up for Duke with Marvin Bagley gone. Now, as Jim Beheim noted on the Jim Beheim show last night, Duke
1: without Bagley, what does it mean? Here's what the head coach had to say. For the most part, they don't do anything differently with Bagley. They have another guy in his spot, but when he's in that spot, he gets 20 points and 10 rebounds. The other guy gets about six points and six rebounds. So it's the same play, the same offense, but obviously it's a different player. They've changed mostly because Grayson Allen has the ball now. He was averaging eight or ten points a game for a while, and now he's averaging 20-something at 25 last night uh so he's got the ball and that's he's the most dangerous guy the two most dangerous guys for us are Trent and and uh, Grayson Allen and then they're big guys inside are, are still monsters whether or not Bagley plays we don't think he will play we think there's something with the knee that they haven't released uh when you sit out like this this long uh there's usually something behind it but uh They just pounded everybody in our league without them. So it's not like, um, oh, this is going to be a little easier. No, it won't be easier. Um, They're playing better defense. They're getting better in their zone. Uh, It's the first time they've ever played zone extended periods of time, and you get better. You get better with it. Their zone's getting better. Um, But their offense is tremendous. They're a tremendous offensive team. They've got two guys that shoot up close to 50% from the three. They've got the inside guys. So it's a, it's a tough test and uh, we're going to have to go down there and play well.
0: That's Jim Beheim on the Jim Beheim show last night. on uh, Brostat TK 99. One more from the head coach. Uh, did you hear him say that Duke is playing zone? They're almost playing exclusively two, three zone. It's why their defense has been better in the last few games and, no better expert on the zone than Jim Boeheim. Uh Here's a little bit more from the head coach on Duke. Yeah, I wonder where Mike Krzyzewski got that idea.
1: Well, it's a good zone. Uh, no zones are exactly like, just like no man to mans are exactly like. They're all different in different ways. But their zone has gotten better. It was, very, it was not good in the beginning of the year, but they've used it a lot. And they've gotten a lot better with it so it's definitely better than it was and uh, they've worked on a lot and they've they've used a lot it's really helped them
0: another thought from the head coach here on defense
1: i I don't think our defense has been good it wasn't good against wake forest it wasn't good against north carolina state and it it wasn't good last night um it it was pretty good in miami and louisville although I'm, i'm not sure it was our defense or their shooting uh, but they shot Miami shot well when they went to Notre Dame but so you know but again I, I just don't think our defense is as good as it needs to be uh, to win these games we, we want to win every game we play we don't care what people predict for us or what they think our record's going to be we go out to play every game and we want to win every game and we've had the opportunity to win every game we played this year except probably Kansas and uh the Virginia game at home. We were really not in it. We were in the game at Virginia and every place else we played. And all the games we lost at home, we had the ball tie game against Notre Dame. Uh, we had the last shot shot against St. Bonaventure here. We had the ball last night twice with a tie game. And we had the ball, a tie game with NC State. And you know you get in those situations at home, you've got to score, you got to get a bucket. Early in the year, we scored against Maryland when we needed to at home and Georgetown, and uh, close game with Buffalo, close game to Toledo. We scored in those games, but uh, in the league, we've had four really close games here.
0: That's Jim Bayheim of course, on the Jim Bayheim Show over on Brostat TK99. So I brought up one stat with Duke: they are six and one in ACC play. They are beating teams at Cameron Indoor Stadium in ACC play. Not overall this season. In ACC play, by an average of 20 points per game, they're 13-1 and at Cameron overall, and that one loss is to Virginia. Duke's 1-4 straight. They're 23-5 and five overall. They're pretty darn good, as you know. Gary Trent Jr. is shooting 45% from three-point range. Duke leads the ACC in three-point shooting just under 40%. Grayson Allen's still there. Grayson Allen's still good. But as we talked about with Andy Schroff earlier in the show, Grayson Allen has averaged 23 points per game in his last four. So he's had to be the alpha because Marvin Bagley, we played that clip a moment ago from Coach Beheim. Bagley probably not going to be back tomorrow. We'll see. But Grayson had to step back into, into that lead dog role with Bagley. I mean, Bagley. Bonafide, no doubt about it. I think top three won't fall much further out of the top five in the upcoming draft. 22 points per game, 11 rebounds. Just a dynamic talent. I'm actually going to miss watching him tomorrow if he can't play. Syracuse fans certainly uh, probably rolled their eyes at that. What do you mean you're going to miss him? I I miss watching great players. That's what's great about Syracuse being in the ACC, just night in and night out. I mean, you couldn't help but admire Carolina the other night and the way that they play, and I understand there's some You know, speaking of NCAA investigations and things that happen beyond the sport, you know, false majors that players have been funneled to for years and nothing comes of it. It seems like, you know, Carolina dodged a big-time bullet that way. I mean, all their extracurricular activities aside, that team is, I, I admire watching how they play, the ball movement, the intensity, how they rebound. Well, Duke, you can't help but step back and admire how they play the game, too. And everybody loves to hate Duke and Dick Vitale's calling the game and Duke EV and all that, uh, all the same cliches here. And don't get me wrong, I have uh, I have some harbored, um, let's say, dis- dislike for Duke that I'm sure will come out when we watch the game tomorrow on the social media. But, you know, Trayvon Duvall, 54 steals, 153 assists this year. Duke can score. Their defense is getting better. As Jim Boeheim said, it's not exactly What they do, but it is a 2-3 zone. So you say to yourself, all right, if Syracuse can go out there and run with Carolina but just didn't have quite enough to get over the hump and obviously some big mistakes cost them in this game. Now you're going on the road, tough environment. I don't think Syracuse can, you know, Pat asked me earlier in the show what I felt Syracuse's chances were tomorrow. And I I said about 50-50, and I didn't mean that just because that's the literal definition, you know. One team wins, one team loses. You know, every game is 50-50 in a way. But I think they've got to improve on what they did against Carolina to be in this game. Going on the road, I think a home team, you know, inherently gets about somewhere between four and six points just by being at home, the calls that they'll get, the crowd advantage that swings your way. And, you know, Cameron Indoor Stadium speaks for itself how tough that it is. You need Tyus Battle, O'Shea Brissett, and Frank Coward to basically bottle what they did Wednesday and do it again tomorrow. It can't be, and I will say the same thing about this game that I said about Wednesday night. It can't be a two-out-of-three situation. And for part of that game, it was a two-out-of-three situation because Tyus Battle didn't emerge until the second half. And once he did, you know, game on. All three of those players have got to be on, and Duke is bigger. The thing with Carolina was they were running that smaller lineup, and Luke May was, you know, essentially their big guy. Duke is bigger. Duke's got three players that shoots lights out from the three. Gary Trent Jr. we mentioned, Grayson Allen we know can hit threes. Wendell Carter, who was, you know, named in that Yahoo report today, he can shoot the three. You've got Duvall is kind of doing all the dirty stuff, the steals, the assists. This just in Duke's really good and Duke's at home. And Duke is in the short conversation of teams that once again can win the national championship. Stop me. If you heard that before. And I know Syracuse has gone to Cameron in recent years and been competitive. I recall a coat coming off Jim Boeheim, albeit briefly a couple years ago and you know, this has been a great insta-rivalry that has emerged. I think these two teams bring out the best in each other. I think that Beheim and Shashevsky, as much as they don't like coaching against each other because they're friends, you know, the competitors, and then when they go against each other, the strategy, just knowing that, you know, why is Coach K using a 2-3 zone? Because he learned from Jim Beheim, had him on that Olympic team, mostly because of that, and, and when it works, it works, and it's working but who knows how to pick apart a zone better in theory than the guy who is is the master of it. But you got to have the players to do it. And Syracuse, who's the guy in the high post that's going to hit those shots consistently? Are you going to count on Tyus battle to get in there and do it? O'Shea Brissett has been much better shooting the ball, but that's not really his spot. Frank Howard, I think can definitely hit that shot. And boy, I mean, those three combined for 66 of 74 points against North Carolina, you need something else, and I know this is like bluntly obvious to say, but you need a Merrick Dolja, you need a Barama Sidibe, you need a Pascal Chukwu, even Matthew Moyer, who's due to give you more on the offensive end. All those players do other things away from the ball that all contribute, but you need some. You need a. You need a fourth, right? It's, I said a third, and all three have to be on offensively, but you kind of need a fourth player to emerge against Duke. And then you're still talking about being down by 8 to 10 points and figuring out a way to make some stops on defense. Let's talk more about this game. Let's talk about the Yahoo report, what it means for college sports. As I said, it's merely organizing things we already know. 437-7644, if you want to hop on board, you are on the block. ESPN Radio, stay right there.
2: Hey.